Sleep is important for all of us, especially our kids, but many of us don't get enough sleep or the right kind of sleep. And joining me today is Dr. Vipin Garg. He's the director of the Sleep Disorder Center at Trinitas Regional Medical Center. And he's here today to help us understand sleep disorders, sleep studies, and share the latest technologies in diagnosing and treating sleep disorders. This is Trinitas Health Chat, the official podcast of Trinitas Regional Medical Center. I'm Scott Webb. So, Doctor, thanks so much for your time today. We're uh, talking about sleep, and I know that sleep is important. So, want to hear it from you. Why is sleep so important? As we know, we really need sleep to do anything, actually, essentially. I mean, sleep amount may vary from person to person or depending on what age group you are in, but uh, you can't function literally in terms of how you think, how you solve problems, how you learn, like even driving, for example, judgment and paying attention to the details. So uh, everything gets uh, affected. And we have a lot of studies showing that if you uh, don't sleep enough, you're tired, you're more likely to end up in accident or crash. And besides the mental abilities, it also helps physically as well. I know for me personally, I just feel grouchy when I don't sleep enough. What are some of the other effects of not getting enough sleep? Even for learning, for example, it's extremely important. I mean, it could be learning math. It could be just learning to play an instrument or playing sports. Sleep really enhances your ability to learn and to solve problems which we face day-to-day, pay attention. So for children, for example, sleep is extremely important because, you know, they are in this phase and they're growing. So this helps in their proper growth and, and the behavior. The other thing is how you control your emotions, behavior, how to cope with the change. Many things happen not expected. And sleep is sort of a keystone thing that, you know, how we respond to these things. Even when we sleep, it's not like the body shuts down. It's like there is an active thing going on in sleep, which is trying to repair the mind and body and make us ready for the next day. That's a great way to put that. And it's so important that we get that repair time, that downtime. And you mentioned earlier that maybe everybody doesn't need the same amount of sleep. And I've noticed as I've gotten older that I don't seem to need as much sleep or I can't sleep as long as I used to. My kids can sleep 10, 12 hours, but I'm pretty good if I can get about six or so, you know. So if it's true that people as they age or their natural personalities might not need as much sleep, why is that? There are two things. Well, first of all, just like on average, adults need seven to eight hours of sleep, okay? okay. That's just in general. And then an individual may need a specific amount of sleep. Though The way we look at the amount of sleep, it's really dependent like how you perform the next day. If somebody feels sleep deprived, that simply means they're not getting enough sleep. And and sometimes people may not realize, you know, in some circumstances they do realize. And uh, now, for example, in children, they need more sleep because the growth is happening and, and it's important for physical growth and as well as for mental growth. And then they're learning a lot of new things. So uh, like adolescents may need 8 to 10 hours of sleep and 6, 7-year-old, they may need 10 to 12 hours of sleep. We can't really curtail the amount of sleep. And it's not only just the amount of sleep, it's the quality of sleep also is important because you may be sleeping 7 to 8 hours, which you think is adequate. But if the quality is not um, adequate, then you still may be impaired the next day. Yeah, I think that's so right, that it's not just the number of hours, it's the quality of the sleep during those hours. And it does seem like there's so many things that can factor into 
how good that sleep is, whether it's the temperature in the room, the quality of our bed, the pillows. There's a lot of factors in making sure however many hours we need are good hours. Yeah, I mean, we try to put those things under something we call sleep hygiene. For example, going to bed just at regular times. We have, believe it or not, like clock, which keeps tab what time we go to bed. And then it's always easier to fall asleep at the same time and then wake up at the same time, then you get kind of deeper sleep. If you try to mess up with your schedule, you may have noticed, you know, during travel, you still get sleep, but it's not as refreshing as your regular sleep. So that's one thing, like you mentioned, the temperature, body has to be comfortable. And it's not only the physical things like comfortable bed and no noise, stimulants in terms of the TV, video games, all that, because the mind has to relax and drift into sleep. So it's the stress as well. And then, you know, how long it takes to fall asleep. So all these factors uh, play a role. Yeah, they do. And especially with kids, but even adults, we all like to play on our phones, these uh, little mini computers that we walk around holding in our hands all day. And a lot of us will be using them right up until bedtime, like right before we, you know, shut our eyes. It's the last thing we're doing is looking at a screen and stimulating ourselves. And you know our kids are doing that too, whether they're on TikTok or Snapchat, whatever it is. Can you talk just a little bit about the effects of that sort of stimulation and then trying to go to bed right away? So there are two things. Like you mentioned, the stimulants is one thing. You may have wondered why we, everybody kind of sleeps at nighttime, right, when it's dark. And everybody wakes up in the morning when it's bright. So one of the, there's a science behind it. So with the darkness, the brain secretes something called melatonin. And that's how we kind of drift into sleep. So you can imagine if you're using all these tablets or TV and the light is constantly going, uh, it's giving the wrong signal to brain. Yeah. And uh, melatonin is being sort of inhibited. So that's making it difficult to sleep. And the other aspect is, like you mentioned, that depending on what you are watching or what is the content in front of you, that may stimulate your brain and then make it harder to go to sleep. So what do we recommend typically that in your bedroom, try to avoid having all these devices, TV, you know? Yeah. And if you want to have just mild, soothing music, some people want to read a book. Uh, we will say just read a boring book, you know, something... Not mm-hmm. not <laughs> stimulating. That. Not a great book, but just something, just that, something, something that yeah, puts us to exactly. sleep. Yeah, exactly. Just because sometimes say you know some people tell that we, I just need to take my mind off the things, so just to wind down. So there, there is a balance. So it's very important we keep these devices out of the bedroom. Yeah, it definitely is. And I wanted to have you talk about snoring. Sometimes it seems like snoring is just snoring, and sometimes it can be an indication of something else, like sleep apnea, something like that. So let's just talk about snoring in general. And those people who snore, who have bed partners, who are you know awakened by their snoring, there's a lot to unpack here. But generally speaking, why do people snore and is it always bad? So what happens is we are breathing 24-7, right? We breathe in daytime, we breathe in nighttime, and we all know is the sense of life. So if the airway is obstructed, obviously it could be partially obstructed, that's when when the air flows through the obstructed airway, it, it, it leads to some sort of noise. So, so snoring is nothing but just a noise which is indicating that the airway is not uh, 100% open. Uh, it's partially occluded. Now, depending on uh, the level of uh, obstruction, it may be that you can overcome that obstruction by putting a little bit of effort, 
which is not a big deal, which means it could be benign in some circumstances. But in many circumstances, it could also mean that you are not getting enough airflow, mm -hmm. which is needed to keep the bodily functions. That's when we uh, start calling it sleep apnea because then we start seeing the consequences of uh, that decreased flow. Like your oxygen will drop because the air is not up. Once the oxygen drops, as you know, we need oxygen, oxygen like gas, you know, right. to go on. And so then it starts affecting the heart. It can lead to kidney disease. It can lead to stroke. It can lead to high blood pressure. So it's just a cascade after that. So it does seem like there's just sort of normal snoring, maybe taking a cat nap in the afternoon. But as you say, there can be some serious health consequences if it's something that happens Absolutely. at night and, and repeatedly. And that's definitely uh, some of the stuff we're going to talk about in a bit about sleep studies and things like that. But before we get there, I want to have you talk about REM sleep. You know, I hear a lot about this and I don't know exactly what it means. It's not something we can sort of do ourselves, but there's that level of sleep that's really desirable, right? That REM sleep. Absolutely. As the name of this REM is basically rapid eye movement and, and that's how the name REM. And, and typically REM sleep makes like 25% of your total sleep. And strangely enough, that percent of sleep sort of remains constant throughout the life. And, and it's very important uh, um, for proper functioning of the body as well as uh, sleep to be refreshing that we have adequate REM sleep. In REM sleep, all the muscles kind of uh, relax and they're paralyzed. And person may have dreams, person may have nightmares, depending on the content. So this is uh, the sleep, uh, since the muscles are relaxed, that anybody who has an uh, issue with the sleep apnea they are more likely they're going to manifest it more. Uh, so as a defense mechanism or as a protective mechanism from brain, sometimes people with the sleep apnea, they will have less REM sleep because their sleep apnea gets extremely worse in REM sleep. So the, the brain tries to avoid REM sleep and they can't have effective REM sleep. So that can lead to problems. You know, sometimes they can be depressed in the daytime, and, and besides the medical problems. Are there also people who are just light sleepers? And if that's a thing, you know, if there are light sleepers and heavy sleepers, do the light sleepers ever really get into REM sleep? And, and if not, are they then probably likely to wake up and just never quite feel refreshed? That's true. The light sleeper, uh, person's sleep can be light. Either they have, we call it fragmented sleep, that they're just having very uh, frequent arousals at nighttime, and that kind of makes the sleep light, or they're not getting adequate amount of REM sleep. So this is the one sleep which we just discussed, and the other delta wave sleep. So that's also a deep sleep. And, and sometimes we also see that people just feel that they didn't sleep well, and that's like psychophysiological, but they're able to function. They can do everything daytime. So that necessarily may not be a problem. But yes, if we do a sleep study and we see uh, that uh, you don't have adequate REM sleep, adequate delta wave sleep, or you have frequent arousals, then that's the problem. And then obviously we go to the next step to see what is causing that. That's a good transition point. Let's talk about the next steps. Let's talk about first, what are the common sleep disorders and how would someone know if they have one? And if they don't just know sort of instinctively themselves, then take us through that process. 
So as we were discussing, sleep apnea is pretty common. And, and some of the symptoms of sleep apnea for the patient, snoring could be one, and they could have awakening with choking sensation. Like I have patients come to me and they say they were fast asleep and they just kind of woke up. And sometime during these awakening, they realize that they were choking. Sometimes they don't realize because by the time they wake up, I mean, they already are breathing normally. Uh, and, and in many uh, circumstances, their partners are telling that, hey, you snore loud or I, I repositioned you in the bed and the snoring kind of stopped. Our partners tend to let us know, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Definitely. They, they make sure that we know, yeah. And, and then, you know, many times, like some astute partners, they have recorded the snoring and they have recorded how long they stop breathing. Like they'll tell me, you know, he stopped breathing 28 seconds, he stopped breathing 48 seconds. Yeah. So this is what we do in sleep study, essentially. We are measuring if they stop breathing and how long it is and what are the consequences of that. And also in daytime, you know, they can be tired, they can be under fresh. They wake up in the morning, they, they feel like they didn't get good night's sleep. They tend to drift to naps, like especially after lunch. Mm. That's like a stress test, I, I tell my patients. If if after taking a lunch, you know, you just kind of feel the need to take a nap, then <laughs> this would be an indication that you're not getting uh, enough good night's sleep. Yeah, and so what are some of the stats about sleep disorders? You know, what percentage of us actually have a sleep disorder? Overweight people, probably 5%, I'll say, overall, but... Uh, in, in men, it may go up to like even 10%. So it's pretty high, you know. And then if you are a young male and you have high blood pressure, the chances are like 85 to 90% that you have underlying sleep disorder because it's sort of the number one cause which people don't realize leading to hypertension in that group. So let's talk then about the actual sleep studies. Uh, how are they done? Where are they done? Do people have to stay overnight in the hospital? Can they sometimes be done at home? Take us through that process. So sleep studies can be done in the sleep centers. Our sleep center is in a hotel. So one of the things was that we want the patient to be comfortable so they can sort of don't feel it's the hospital environment. We want to get a, a, as natural picture as possible. So we have many rooms in the hotel which are converted into sort of those rooms where we can monitor their sleep. But it can be done in, at home as well. So with the innovation in technology, so now we have devices which we can hand over to the patient and uh, they're simple to use and they can just sleep in their bedroom and it records uh, at nighttime and next day we download the data, we analyze it and we go over the results. Yeah, because it seemed like maybe that was one of the reasons why people didn't go for sleep studies in the past, because they would have to stay in the hospital, which is just not a natural place for most people to sleep, right? Yep. But as you say now, you're doing it at the hotel. People can do it from home. And one of the things I know you can use from home is the watch pad. Maybe tell us a little bit about that for sleep apnea. Yes, the watch is a very innovative technology, and they have made it very easy to monitor sleep. It's like a watch, and basically you put on your wrist and then you have one sensor which goes into the index finger, and and then you connect that watch through the app with your smartphone device, and then just basically you turn it on and then go to sleep, and it records. And since it's connected through the smart device, the data kind of all automatically goes to the cloud, and you know these things are disposable. 
so once you use it <laughs> you don't even have to yeah. like worry about returning it or maintaining it right. it, it, it has done its job and then we can access that data from the cloud in in many cases we are able to make the diagnosis in some cases if it's inconclusive we may have to get a lab based study but it's really helpful because in many cases that's all you need really amazing technology is so great and this has been a great conversation doctor as we uh, wrap up here tell us about the trinitas sleep center and what makes it so special we are in existence uh, for 25 years and we take a great pride we test individuals of all ages including children elderly we can accommodate patients in wheelchairs disabled with the hospital you know we have respiratory therapists which are specially trained you know with much sicker people so like patient needs oxygen at night time we can take care of all those things and we are accredited by american academy of sleep medicine you know we have that accreditation for those many years so i would say we take a lot of pride in what we do and we have a lot of patients who are happy and they have referred us their family members and they can trust us yeah well doctor thanks so much for this conversation today my takeaways are uh, sleep is important and if we're not getting enough we should do something about it whether that's a sleep study or at least uh, starting with speaking with our primary and then moving on from there so uh, doctor thanks so much for your time today and you stay well All right. Thank you. Call the Trinitas Comprehensive Sleep Disorders Center at 908-994-8694 to learn how to get better sleep tonight. Trinitas Health Chat is the official podcast of Trinitas Regional Medical Center. I'm Scott Webb. Thanks for listening. Stay well.